The opportunity I've been given by my brother, Pastor Jimmy, is to bring us to God's word on what is the priority of the pastor. What's the first priority for you as a pastor? Now, um, personally, when I was preparing, I was really, I learned a lot, I've been drawn to a lot, repented a lot. Um, my idols were made bare by the Lord during my preparation for this. And now you know some of you, or all of us, you're going to feel like your feet is being stepped upon. But I want you just to listen prayerfully. Okay? Listen prayerfully that as the Lord dealt with my own heart, that he will also deal with your own heart. And then the best way I want to encourage you, if you have a question, as the brother said, we are going to have the q and at the end, so that you don't forget. You can pull up a paper or something and write your question, so that you don't forget, okay? So let's pray and turn to God's word. Father, we thank you we have been fed since morning on your word. We have been reminded, we have been cautioned, we have been warned, we have been rebuked in ways that, Lord, we haven't been faithful, that we have brought the gospel, and our desire has been for our understanding and knowledge to be displayed than God himself. Lord, we have been warned of the danger of preaching a man-centered gospel. We have been reminded the need for us to seek soul care as pastors. Lord, we ask for all of us that our being here today will not be in vain, but that truly we would hold forth to the truth that has been laid bare upon our hearts. Lord, even now, as we continue to learn from your word, open our hearts. May your Holy Spirit teach us again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if I'm going to ask two people, and uh, be honest. Be honest. The Lord sees you. Okay, the Lord sees your heart. And I'm going to pick. So I'm not going to tell people to raise up hands because no one will raise the hand. So I'm going to pick someone. So um, I'm going to ask this brother, my brother here in glasses. Are you a pastor? What's your first priority? What is your first priority? This brother here with the glasses, yes. What's your first priority as a pastor? My first priority is my relationship with God. Okay, your relationship with God, great. Next priority, if you are to... God mm -hmm. and my wife. Mm -hmm. Okay, my brother here, what's your first priority? Good question. Let's 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the journey continues. All right. I asked this because all of us, you and me, we have this which we say every day. God first, family first, ministry. Isn't it? But the thing is, do you live that way? Is that how you live your life? God, family, ministry. Is that how you live your life? A friend of mine told me in Mombasa, had gone for a conference, he's a pastor. No, now he's not a pastor. He had to quit. He disqualified himself. And one day he told me, my brother, do you have a problem in your house as a pastor? And I said, not as a pastor, I have a problem because I'm a Christian. We always have problems in my house. I'm a human being, so we always have problems at home. And he told me, do you have a problem with your wife? And I said, we have our struggles in the house on uh, almost a weekly, daily basis. We have struggles. And then he told me, thank you. Then he asked me, is your wife so troublesome? <laughs> and I told him, my wife has her troubles, which I cause her, and also she causes me her troubles. So our troubles are to where? Traffic. But then she told, he told me, these women are troublesome, my brother. <laughs> these women, the devil uses them so that we don't do well in the ministry. I have a big problem with my wife. She doesn't want me to do ministry. But then later on, I, I came to find out he had some mistresses outside. And so the lady was not trusting him and she constantly wanted to find out where are you, what are you doing? Uh, and, and so he found the ministry to be a place where he can lie. I've been with the, a member so-and-so. I've been with so-and-so. I've been visiting so-and-so. I was telling my brother Robert, I think that was two years back in Mombasa. Mombasa is not a bad city when I talk about that. I'm just giving these things, you know, they happen everywhere. On a Sunday morning, a man woke up to go to church with his wife. As the church is gathered like this, he got out a knife. This is a pastor. Got out a knife, slit his wife's throat, and he slit his throat. And they both died on the pulpit. And the man left a letter and he said, my wife wanted to steal my ministry away. I've suffered a lot for my ministry and I could not allow that. 
You know you can do, be doing it. But the thing is, which position, which place does your wife have between the ministry and the wife? What place does your wife have? Let's turn to scripture and read and we try to ex say, expound those. There are three passages we are going to read. One is 1 Timothy 3, 4 to 5. Paul writing to Timothy by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul in writing to him on who to be an elder and who not to be an elder. Paul says, the saying, we can read from verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of the overseer, he desires a noble task, a good job, worthy to be aspired, to be loved by everyone in the world. It's the best job you can do. Have you ever th thought about your job like that? That's the best job you can do. Shepherding God's people. Verse 2. Therefore, it's a good job, it's a worthy job, but it doesn't pay much, isn't it? Uh, some of you, nothing. But it's a good job. Therefore, if you want it, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? Flip with me to Titus 1. Titus 1. Again, in the qualifications of who to be an elder, Paul writes from verse 5. We can read from verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I as directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God is a steward or servant, if you want to use that word, must be above reproach. He must not be an arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy or for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Flip with me quickly to Ephesians 5. Again, Paul writing under the leading of the Spirit of God, verse 25. Paul writes and says husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church 
to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ does the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is profound and i'm saying that it refers to christ and the church however let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband we want to look at these two those three passages and see what is the priority of the pastor drawing back to 1 timothy 3 4 5 we want to look at verse 4 and 5 husband of one wife the first priority paul reminds us is the pastor's first priority is faithfulness to his wife one wife not two wives okay not two men coming together or two women one wife one husband that's what paul reminds him. this one wife matter jesus in mark 10 when his question is posited to him about divorce the lord says don't you know that from the beginning god created them adam and eve not adam's and eve's or adam and eve's Amen. what jesus is saying in mark 10 is the ideal picture of marriage is between a woman and a man faithfulness to your wife is your number one priority as a pastor so what does the one wife look like obviously it's clear you don't marry two wives a pastor cannot have what two wives three wives four wives or ten wives i know some of us we can we, we come from polygamous families and it is easy for us to say you know my dad married ten marrying two actually i've just spared i've just the lord i've loved the lord so much to marry two my wife my father had ten i'm just doing a good thing in having only two and some of us our cultures push us for you to be a man to be recognized to have prestige in society having one wife is not a good thing a pastor should not have two wives why because jesus only have one bride our great model is jesus who has one bride the church of christ and as paul says in ephesians 5 he's calling men to model christ if you are a christian your place your ideal 
example to follow is Jesus, not the culture, not your friends. Jesus. The Bible has been written in cultural settings, but it supersedes culture. Yes, amen. You, you don't say, my culture says, when the Bible says, no. And being a shepherd, you are modeling Christ-centered marriage to your people, how they should live as married people, young men whom God brings your way, who want to get married. They are looking at you as a pastor. How do you live? In Africa, where I come from in Kenya, we have bishops with five wives. We have pastors with so many wives and nobody, they are untouchable. You don't speak against the anointed of God. Isn't that what words you use, isn't it? The anointed of God who lives contrary to God's word is not the anointed of God. That's the anointed of men. Those are chiefs in our cultures who live like that, who don't know Jesus. But also the faithfulness of what Paul calls us, our priority to faithfulness to one wife, has also a calling us to that our faithfulness to our wife also has to deal with our sexual affairs. It's not just having one wife who is known as the one whom you paid bride price for, or the one whom you wedded before men, or the one whom the government recognizes by the marriage certificate. But he, she, you should be sexually faithful. Intimacy should be with one woman. It's not saying I have a wife who is known, but I have some mistresses I keep to satisfy my lustful sexual desires. That's not what Paul said. Paul is saying your body, you remember I've read in Ephesians 5, you are one flesh. In 1 Corinthians 7, your body belongs to your wife, as has also. You don't take the members of Christ, you who is a member of Christ, your body, with, united to your wife, and then united to who? To prostitutes. That's what Paul calls, reminds us in 1 Corinthians. That you should be faithful. God has blessed you in a marriage with a wife who is able to satisfy you sexually. When you think about enjoying your marriage, you think about your wife. Sex is a gift from God that should be enjoyed in marriages, not outside marriages. That's why God hates adultery, he hates fornication. Brothers and sisters, one issue that we are dealing with so much today in our churches is last. And everyone is finding all manner of excuses. You know I'm not perfect, I'm still struggling. People are having mistresses, pastors are having mistresses. You know, men in the church are having mistresses. I think it was my brother, BW, who was telling us how a pastor ran away from the wife 
here in Uganda and he's preaching affirming it's better if, if one person is not good enough for you get another person it's not bad Paul is saying only one woman should you should expose your nudity to only one woman should see your nakedness not other women your eyes should only see one woman naked not many women faithfulness in your intimacy is for your wife alone now many people say you know but my wife denies me sex when i want sex she always comes up with what excuses that is not an excuse for you to have other women you should talk to your wife what is the problem paul says in 1 corinthians 7 do not deny one another me and my wife it's good my wife is here we always have some battles towards hey my wife says i'm not feeling well today i'm like why and, 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 and we were talking the other day and we said no men don't take it lightly when they are denied sex especially when you are growing up you are growing up you know you reach an age where you you can understand your person but young people don't take it lightly when they are denied sex. Unfortunately, even some men don't take it lightly. It becomes a war in the, in the house. I once met a man and he told me, my brother, you don't need to argue with your wife in these matters at all. If she says no, just buy food in the house, brother, get out. There are so many women here. <laughs> so that it is not something you keep on fighting your wife day and night. Leave it. You can stay without it, but you go outside here. That's what the world gives you options. Options will always be there on the world standard. But the Lord says, no. It's not only giving ourselves to other women that Paul would deal with the one woman matter here, but also in the way we use our words. Pastor, it, you know, pastors we see, we have ladies in our churches. Some dress well, some don't dress well. As the brother was talking about, you know, sheep which bite, you know. Some sheep will behave well, others won't behave well. And uh, it is easy for you as a pastor, because you're the pastor of the church, how you use your words. There are some words you should only tell your wife. Not every member of your church who is a woman. Sister, today you are lovely. That dress looks... Oh! Huh? You know, you have to be careful that you don't use words that will be misinterpreted in a bad in a bad way sister you are smart bye bye 
Even in our counseling sessions as pastors, you got to be careful. Especially you are counseling women. What you speak to them. You know, nowadays I hear people like, dear, dear, everyone is a dear. You know, a pastor calling somebody's wife, hey dear, we have missed you. Uh, you know, I'm always a very restrictive man, let me tell you that. So, there are things I don't, I don't want even my wife to call other people. You know, I want my wife to call me dear, not Robert. Robert is not, should not be called dear. Robert is a brother in Christ. <laughs> You know, I don't want her to make me hate Robert. And next time I, I will not come with her when we are called to go with Robert because I'm like, no way. There are words you want to, as married people, there are words we use towards our wives to spur our love in your home. You know, to show our appreciation to our wives, to encourage them, to affirm them, to care for them. And those are words can only be used to your wife, not to every woman. And you can think we are being too much, but that's where slowly by slowly, one word today, another word tomorrow becomes something else. Because you are saying, hey, you know, I've met, I've met pastors who say, I'm beyond that, even if I say that I can't do that. I'm always very careful when a man tells me I'm beyond that. I'm like, you are a dangerous guy. But also a one wife means we need to care and safeguard our only wives against any kind of manipulation that may befall them. You don't expose just your wife for anyone. This is your wife. So, so we have this thing of hugging people, isn't it? Okay? You hug everyone in church. You hug everybody's wife. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's from the West, yeah? We, we never hugged like that, you know. We, 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 we don't hug so much, but we have been in some way westernized, so we hug. But there's somebody hugging, yeah? You know, how do you just hug and embrace somebody's wife as if it is your wife? I've seen these things happening. A pastor embracing a young girl. And this is my daughter. Uh, but the way you are embracing the daughter to spreading your hands in places you should not spread them. <laughs> the devil is watching. And the other people are watching. There are people looking at you and they're like, what is happening? They might keep quiet because you are the pastor. You are the untouchable. We got to protect our only God-given women. As the Proverbs remind us, Proverbs 18, it reminds us that wives are a a blessing from the Lord. And whoever receives a wife, receives what? Favor. You care for, wives are a gift to us. You care for your gift well. Your wife is your first priority among all people. 
a culture we have in Africa. I will tell a story, a very stupid story, example people always give, very stupid one, which never happened. You're on the ocean swimming, and the boat capsizes, and there is your mother and your wife. Whom do you save? And many Africans say, mother, because I will never get another, I can get another wife. There are many here, but I will never get another mother. The answer is no. If that was to happen in real life, I save my wife first. If I'm ever, I can save my mother too. We have a culture that our parents speak a lot in our marriages. Our parents are priority in our marriages. Our mothers fight our wives tooth and nail and we affirm and confirm. Your mother comes in your house she becomes the big boss lady. Your wife becomes like a maid who has been employed to do everything. That's African culture. A very bad way of doing things. Your wife, when you marry, allegiance and relationships shift. You are under your parents. God gives you now an opportunity to lead a home, he gives you a wife. To prioritize over friends, to prioritize over your church, to prioritize over your parents. Your wife is your number one priority as a pastor. But also remember, as we go to our second point, our second point is, when you think about this, it is easy, and it's workable today in the world, we can be morally upright, buy good things for our wives, not have mistresses or a woman somewhere else, but we can do all that without love. A man can care for the wife, give the wife he needs without love. We should be prioritize faithfulness to our wives. Secondly, we must prioritize to love our wives. Faithfulness. We have met people who are morally upright. They love the, they give to their wives whatever they need. A man has put money in the bank and told her, whatever you need, go pick. But they don't love their wives. A moral faithfulness is good. We should all of us enforce it because God wants that. But we should be careful not to be morally faithfully, but deep down in our hearts, there is no love for our wives. So Paul, if we were to ask ourselves, how then should we love our wives? Paul writes in Ephesians 5, and he gives us this beautiful picture. The model of how we should love our wives. Love is different from duty. Love is different from duty. I have a duty to pay school fees for my children, even if I don't love that school. Even if I don't love the owner of the school, but I need to pay fee. 
have a, you have a duty to work even if you hate your boss. You go to work, you do it well, faithfully, but you hate the guy. You hate the work. Praise be to God. Some of us, we love what we do. It's a blessing from the Lord. Although sometimes also you feel the burden. But I've been reminded, where do we put the burden to? To Jesus. It is easy to do all these things. Your wife is, is, is the cleanest, drives a nice car, you know, loved by people. But the husband at home does not love the wife. The pastor must prioritize to love his wife as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? Let's go back to Ephesians 5. How did Jesus love the church? Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He gave himself up for her. As Pastor Jimmy has told us, God is not calling you to kill yourself that your wife may go to heaven. Because that will never happen. Your blood can't save anyone. You will go to hell, and whoever you have died for will go to hell with you. <laughs> How did Jesus love the church? In John 13, the Lord says, I lay down my life for my own accord. Jesus was not forced to go to the cross. He was not tied down to die for us. He was not threatened to die for us. Jesus willingly came knowing the cross was before him. He endured the cross knowing he's dying to sinners who don't deserve anything good. Jesus went on the cross knowing the beneficiaries of that cross are going to be thieves, rebels, immoral, bad, prostitutes, all manner of people. Yet, Jesus endured and he died for us. Husbands, that's how your God calls you to love your wife. Give up pleasure. Give up stuff that would be a stumbling block. For your wife to enjoy you as his husband. Friends we have been with before we got married. Many friends, good friends who came through for us. But when it comes to marriage, they are not the priority. Your wife is. Your parents who gave birth to you, they brought you into this world. Your mother love your wife how do we do that practically how do we give up how do we give up in order to love our wives as i've said relationships that will hinder us from enjoying our marriage we sacrifice the resources for the sake of our wives african men who are like me, seated here, 
If our wives eat food and they sleep, don't ask me for anything. Why are you asking me for things? If she asks you for a dress, why are you? Are you not satisfied with what you have? But the man keeps buying clothing for himself. Every month he has a budget to buy clothing for himself. Paul says, if you love your body, you will love your wife. Brothers, personal I've struggled in certain areas in my own marriage just to love my wife. In simple things like my wife used to ask me money to go to the salon. When I go to a barber, I spend 200 shillings Kenyan money. That's almost how much in Uganda? 6,000, isn't it? When my wife goes to a salon, it's thrice that. Not thrice, actually. It's 3,000, isn't it? Lady stuff is expensive. And I used to fidget. And I used to tell her, why don't you shave your hair, please? <laughs> Because I was like, my money, my money. Now, I have three girls at home, a 16-year-old, and twins are going to be 12-year-old. My wife started saying they need to be braided. And I have two boys. If we use too much, we use 300. My boys are shaved with 50 shillings each, because they don't have a beard to shave. <laughs> And I used to tell my wife, the three of us are using 250 shillings, 300 shillings. You guys, you are four of you. You are going to take all our money we should be eating for food. You guys, can't you be considerate? Just to shave your heads. And my wife said, no, I'm not shaving. And I used to give money days before, uh, you know, some days in my heart I was so angry. So angry. My money. Yeah. Can she just reason? Our budgets are going to be bad. What's the problem? I wasn't loving her. Is making air a bad thing? The answer is no. And sometimes I would see my wife she would recognize I'm not happy and she would say, okay, uh, we will endure with this bad air on our, on our head this time. <laughs> and then I would feel bad <laughs> that I'm not doing the right thing. Simple, small things that can bring joy. Sacrificing resources, sacrificing time. Pastor, do you spend time with your wife? Are you intentional in spending time with your wife? Do you love your wife to spend? Do you laugh with your wife? Or well, when you sit together, it's all about when will kids go back to school? How many bills are we paying this month? Is that the only thing you talk about? Do you ever enjoy 
time to sit and talk and laugh and joke with your wife. All ministry is busy. In my early days of ministry, I was like that. My wife will tell me, can we watch a movie? I'm like, movie? Ah, you watch. I have stuff to do. And she would say, I'm not watching also. I was like, I'm not in the movie. You know. I used to struggle. Because I was not intentional. For me, it was ministry, ministry, ministry. You enjoy speaking to people outside there. You say how much the Lord has called you to be there, not here. We stayed in the ministry for four years. And then we started talking about leave. Four years without going anywhere. That was in our first church plant. No, going nowhere. Ministry gets into your head, it gets into your brain, your children, you, they only see you from five in the evening. And when they see you, you're always like, wait a bit, I have a ceremony for Sunday. That was me. I was pushed by people always telling me, guy, you need a leave. I'm like, to do what? How can I sit a whole month down? That's us, isn't it? As brother was telling us here, you know, a pastor is always thinking even sleeping is a sin. That's me. Even now, sometimes I struggle. I have a day off on Monday to spend with my wife, and I'm always like, ah, I would, I would go to see so and so. I would have done this and this. Because ministry has become an idol in the lives of pastors. Ministry has become your wife. No wonder why many wives live there. Husbands. Not necessarily that they have cheated is because they have no place anymore in your life apart from you and your church. Husbands, we must love our wives sacrificially. We must love our wives willingly. No one should push us as Jesus does so. No one should push us. Should love our wives willingly. We should love our wives unconditionally. Despite the fact that they are sinners. And we see bad things in them. They also see bad things in us. You are the most wicked one than your wife. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? Men think that we do a favor to our wives. I hear men telling their wife, you are lucky you are married to me. <laughs> You're not the first one. Paul Tripp's book, Dangerous Calling, he confesses the same. You are lucky you are married to me. You think you are God. When your wife does something wrong, it's always you are the wrong, you are the wrong, you are the wrong. Brothers from the West, you bear with us. African men are very impatient. We are very impatient with our wives. In the morning, I'm going to church. I think the Lord just was, is teaching me and has been good to me. We have only one car. So I can't leave my wife at home. So that means sometimes I get into the car and I'm like, let's go, let's go to church. Five minutes, nobody has come down. But you, you, you left her 
carrying the bag and you're like, what happened to the bag? You send your, hey, can you go and call mom? They come back. She's saying she's coming. Ten minutes, she's not coming. You start hooting. Maybe she will hear and we go. Patience. Patience. I was in Uganda here and I met a man 60 years old. And he told me he's a pastor. He told me, brother, do you always have problems with your wife on Sunday? And I said, what kind of problems? He said, for the last 30 years I've been married. We have been fighting on Sunday. And I told him why. He said, every time she's late. Nowadays, he told me, nowadays I decided to be cooking tea for the children. She is also late. I decided to wake up 6 in the morning. She's late. And, and I told him, yeah, I have the same brother. We battle all of us. It depends how you battle. Do you love your wife and condition despite the fact that she's not perfect as you are not what? Perfect. Do you love your wife? Remember, when you read the Bible, Paul is saying, you should model Christ to who? To your wife. Brothers, there are some wives who cannot even confess if their husbands are pastors. Leave alone being pastor if they are Christians. If you go home today, call your wife, ask your wife, what do you think about me? Am I a Christian? If you hear she's saying, mm, hmm. uh, if there is no direct answer like, yes you are, although you are still battling with the sin, that's fine, that's good. But when you start hearing some hesitations, Brother, don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. You might be a bully at home to a point even your wife cannot tell you anything when it comes to your own salvation. Be careful. Brothers, we love sacrificially, we love willingly, we love unconditionally because that's how the Lord has loved us. You must prioritize your wife. Love, prioritize to love your wife. Intentionally create time with your wife. Even if you have children. I'm not telling you, go to Maxion Falls. You might not have the money to go there. The world today, many young people, they tell you the only way to love my wife, I take him to a nice mall. Who says that's love? Anyone can be taken to a mall. It's not the money that shows you how to love. It's your attitude of your heart towards your wife. Let's stop hiding in resources. You know, I don't have a car. We would have driven it to Ginger. You know, my car is not well. I wish the church would buy me this. I would do more to my wife. Use what you have. You, you are there. Be that to your wife. Our third point Paul brings us here is, one we have said, prioritize faithfulness to your wife. Prioritize loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Thirdly, prioritize bringing up your children well. 
That's what Paul says. Read with me 1 Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 4. He must manage his own household well without dignity, keeping his children submissive. Titus repeats the same. Brothers, children, as we have been told in the morning, just by our brother Chris, they are a blessing from what? From God. You don't deserve them. Just because by God's grace you have the power to bring children into this world doesn't make you the orchestra of children. It's God. Those are God's children. They are not yours. Those are God's property. You remember the story in Exodus where the daughter of Pharaoh finds Moses in the basket and Miriam is near quickly to say, I, can, I have someone I can bring to care for the, for the boy. And Miriam goes home, brings the mother. And Pharaoh's daughter takes Moses and gives him to the mother and tells him, care for this child for me. And I will do it. I will reward you. Those are God's words to us. Care for these children. I will reward you. Brothers, we have been reminded, they are like what a quiver, isn't it? Feel your quiver, aim. The reformed men of many times back, men who have held the truth of the gospel, even in the West, some of them, you, have, you find them with many children than in normal, isn't it? Why? They are saying, the idea of these children is, I want to leave godly siblings in the world, that the gospel may continue to be propagated to all people. I might not be a pastor, but I can be a, a faithful father to bring up godly siblings that can influence their peers with the gospel. The society we live in with the gospel. Don't neglect your children. Do not neglect your children. In Ephesians 6, fathers bring up your children. Do not exasperate them. Provoke them. Bring them up in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. How do you bring up children well? How do a pastor bring up his children well? The answer is bring up in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up to know the Lord, to live for the Lord. You know, we want our children to be like us, isn't it? You know, you are a pastor, you know. Like me, I have two boys. I love my boys. My big boy has no interest in things to do with the pastoral ministry. He wants to be a pilot. And I always try to tell him, you know, if you're going to be a pilot, pilots, they travel too much. They're not always near their families. You're trying to talk him around that. My little one has been so consistent. For the last like three years, he's always saying, Daddy, I want to be a pastor. So in the first time he used to tell me, when you die, I will be the pastor. <laughs> and I thought, ah, you're thinking about dying, yeah? 
but he has been consistent. He asks very troublesome questions sometimes to me about the Bible at his young age. He can pluck you from a very, something you are doing, I like to watch football. I'm a big fan of Arsenal. <laughs> and sometimes you are so busy and you know when your team is losing one nil and every moment you think it's going to get in isn't it you are so careful you don't want to miss anything and he can pop up and tell you hey can I ask you a question what what do you want can I ask you a question so the easiest thing is to do or to get angry What's your problem? Can't you some watching football? It's my team losing, you're telling me a question? I've been learning with him that he can catch you in the midst of a very busy thing you are doing. Can I ask you a question? Or he comes with the Bible and asks you, what is this word? Can you, can you pronounce it for me? And you're like, what's wrong with this boy? <laughs> but the thing is, I've learned to know I must be attentive to my children. I must listen to them. I must practice where if they have a question, because I've told my children, whatever you are told in school, and you are doubting it, come tell me. And I've told them also, whatever I tell you in the house is true. What they tell you in your curriculum is wrong. Just do it for the sake of passing the exam. Those are bad things. They don't teach Christianity in schools in our country. No. They teach bad things about Christianity. You just do them to, but the gospel, you hear it at home. You embrace it. We are told to bring up our children so that they may, they are not outwardly children who are disobedient rebels in the society. You cannot be a pastor if your children is the one walking with guns and shooting everybody in the society. You can't be a pastor. You can't. If your children is not impregnating every girl in the society, you cannot be a pastor. Don't lie to yourself. Everyone carries his cross. That's what people tell themselves. That's, that's him. It doesn't care about me. You can't. How can you install biblical morals in others while your children, your auntie, you have failed that, especially when they are still under your roof? You can't. When they are out and grown-ups, you have no control over them. You have no control over them. Prioritize being with your children, pastors. Teaching them God's word. Every day at home. Forget about these busy, so many busy schedules. I have to go preach where. So your children are your first priority. Do you teach your children the Bible? I'm not saying swear them in in the kingdom. You have no power to bring them in. Only God has it. But you have the tools by God's grace that can aid their salvation, the Bible. Do you teach your children the Bible? Do you pray with your children? Do you pray over your children? Have you shown them salvation in Christ, the most precious thing above all things in this world any man can possess? Have you taught them that? Or you're telling them being a doctor is everything. Being a pilot is everything. That's not it. 
When they close their eyes in death, that is gone. But they have a soul to lose eternally. And you have to work hard to secure that soul. If it was in your hands and in your power, saving your child would be the first priority. Do you burn? Do you plead with God to save your children? Is that something you pray for every day? Is that something you have told your children to be praying for every day? Not for sweets and good holidays. Have you told your children salvation is good? Jesus died for sinners and he can accept you if you believe in him. Have you taught them from the Bible that they can, how to live their day-to-day -day life? How to make decisions in life? Not to walk with bad company. Do you show them that the Bible is holistic? It speaks to them to every area of their lives. Or you don't care. One woman told my wife as they were sharing about children. And she said in their church they are taught children are not sinners. They only become sinners at the age of seven. <laughs> Those are the demonic teachings brother Amanda was talking about. Psalms 58.3 From the womb they were what? Liars and strayed. David prays in Psalms 51. From the womb of my mother was what? Sinner. Romans 3. All, all, including children, they have sinned and they have fallen short. All. You and I, we were born sinners. We were conceived sinners. Our mothers, when they were bringing us in the world, we came sinners. And that's what your children are. They're not little angels. They are not. Those are little demons. <laughs> so you know what we do when children are born, isn't it? Oh, my little angel. No, they're not. If they are little angels, probably they're fallen angels. Not the ones in heaven. Prioritize your children. Teach them the Bible. Psalms 119 verse 9 to 11. How can a young man obey God? And the answer the psalmist gives is what? By living my life according to your word. Prioritize your children. Brothers, I tell you this with love. As one whom God has given me so many opportunities. Near and far away from me. Where men are constantly calling you. Would you come? Do training. Would you come? Teaching our conference. Would you come? Do this. Many times I've said, no way. I'm not coming. I have a wife and children to be with at home. Brothers, ministry can deceive you. Ministry can exalt you. Ministry can make you to, to be the big guy. When everyone wants a piece of you, you want to feel nice. When you go back home and your wife is like, asks you, where is money? Where is this? She doesn't respect me. But guys outside there are respecting me. And ministry can become an idol. It can become something that massages your ego. It can become something that you, you identify with it. And Jesus, you put him aside and you say, this is who I am. 
Learn to say no to running around and stay at home. It's not easy. It's not easy. I tell you that. Five of them. 17, 16, 11, and 8. It's a big job. You're employed by God. You can't run away from anywhere. Every corner in the house you find them. <laughs> Someone jumping on the chair. Someone else trying to scroll bad things on the internet. Someone crying, he needs this attention from you. It's no resting. And don't run. It's a noble job. If your ministry was to be taken away by the Lord, would you rejoice to be with your family? Or you would be cursing them, I wish I was ne never had you. Learn, brothers. If God has given you opportunities even to go here and there, learn to entrust this gospel to others that they may entrust it to others. Learn to devote other men that the burden may be taken away from you and others may do the work. Stay home and love your wife and love your children and care for them and bring glory to God. Paul says also, our fourth point, we are going to finish soon. Prioritize faithful to your wife. Prioritize loving your wife. Prioritize bringing up your children. Prioritize managing your home well. Brothers, when he says managing, the word manage there is a big word. It's a big word. It's the word that can be used to mean overseer, steward. He's saying, serve your home well. In other words, he's saying, when we manage, we look out for the needs of the people we are managing. You look out for the needs of your wife and your children. You feed your children. You clothe your children. You pay rent or you, 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 they have shelter. They are, they are, they are their lives in terms of security, they are cared for. You must manage your home well. And that's why he says if you can't manage your home, you cannot manage the house of who? The house of God. If a home of seven people can, I can't do that. How can you manage a hundred people? It's difficult. That's the principle we have in life, isn't it? It's the principle from the Lord. If you are not faithful in little, how can you be faithful in much? You can't stop lying to yourself. You have two children and it's difficult for you to manage them. Forget about pastoral ministry. That's the answer. If you cannot do what God has commanded you to do in your home, how much more then will you do it to the church? That's how you find pastors who are being big bosses. It's because at home you can't be a big boss. You know your wife knows you so well. You try to be a big boss, the head is brought low. You know? You're told to keep quiet because they know you. Managing is caring. The same word that we'd use as shepherding is caring, nurturing, providing, securing for your family. Brothers, if a pastor doesn't have a job to feed his family, resign first. Find a job to feed your family.
Get a job and feed your family first. Otherwise, you're going to start a church which you're going to use like an ATM, isn't it? If your family can't feed and you are a pastor, what does Paul say? A man who cannot feed his what? His family's what? Is worse than an unbeliever. He has denied the faith. If you cannot feed your family, you have denied the faith. Let me encourage you this. If you are a Christian, you are going to heaven even if you are not a pastor. Don't be so much glued to be a pastor to, to, to the extent of neglecting what God has called you to do. Lastly, why the pastor must prioritize family? Why the pastor must prioritize family? Quickly to Titus. Titus says, uh, Titus 1, I think it was just a minute. Verse 7, Titus 1, 7, it says, For an overseer, as God is steward, must be above reproach. The word I'm looking for there is, the pastor is a servant of God in his house. Not in the church, in your house at home. You are a servant of God. The work you do there is not in vain. It's not, it's not nothing. You are serving Jesus in your house. Jesus is not served alone in churches. Jesus is served in our homes. Jesus is served in everywhere we go. But at this particular point, we are dealing with at home. If you prioritize your wife, if you prioritize your children, you are managing your wife, your, your house well, you are a faithful steward of Jesus in your house. That's why, if you cannot be faithful, a steward of Jesus at home, you will not be a faithful steward in the church. That's what Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.15. The church is God's household, not yours. If you are not faithful in yours, how will you be faithful in the one that has belonged to you? You can't. Brothers, I want to comfort you. I want to encourage you. When you are doing your duties at home faithfully, you are still working for Jesus. You are still working for Jesus. Jesus is honored. Jesus is glorified. Jesus loves you as a faithful servant. When people will parade, when Jesus comes back, and all people parading to receive their reward. You will be among them. Matthew 25, 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. Brothers, prioritize your family. When you are going to bring in men to be pastors in your churches, look, how are they behaving at home? How are they behaving at home? When we bring in men in eldership, in my church, we interview their wives. We talk to their wives and we talk to their children. 
So one brother whom we really felt is going to be a pastor in our church, <laughs> when he heard me saying those things, we have to talk to the wife. <laughs> and he said, brother, I'm not ready. <laughs> he told me I'm not ready. In other words, he's telling you, don't talk, don't talk to my wife, please, don't. <laughs> if you do that, you'll be doing due diligence in having the right men that God has appointed to lead his church. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you this afternoon. We thank you for our families. I thank you for our wives and our children to whom you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for the gentleness of our wives towards us. Some who have stayed for us for many years, who have persevered, Lord, our bad behaviors and sin. Wives who have prayed for us, who have encouraged us, wives who have rebuked us. We thank you for such gifts to us, O oh God. And yet, Father, Lord, we know we have not treated them well as we should. We have called them names we have not prioritized them. We have not spent on them. Father, we have not protected them, even from our own in-laws and families, Father. Lord, forgive us for being careless with our children, for wanting to give them the world, but not Jesus. Lord, forgive us. I do pray for myself and every man in this place. Lord, help us to have our priorities right. That ministry does not become an idol. Ministry does not become an identity. Lord, to know that even in our homes we are still serving you, Lord. When we care and love our wives, when we care for our children, we are serving our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sin, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling in their marriages now. That the things don't seem to be going on well. Father, we ask, Lord, would you give them much grace to seek good counsel from godly men who would help them, Lord? Would you, Lord, help them to turn their eyes to Jesus, who has paid it all on the cross, who is our great counselor, as we have been told, he calls us to cast all our burdens upon him because he cares upon us. We do pray for that struggling marriage that, Lord, it may stand to honor you, O oh God. Father, we do pray for those who are not living right with their wives, with their children, especially with their wives. They might be here, those, Lord, who have been tempted or even fallen, Lord, to accumulate more women around them. And that sin, oh God, we pray for them. The Lord, you would grant them repentance. The Lord, they would know what they're doing is wrong. You will hate it. Lord, we pray, Father, would you open their hearts to your truth. May they seek to come back to the Lord. We, Lord, we pray for our culture, Africa, and all the bad behaviors when it comes to our homes. Lord, that we will dive into your word. We will dip into your word. 
And the Lord will not allow our cultures to supersede what you say. But the Lord, we will follow the Bible. We will stand firm upon your word. The Lord, even the culture may be changed by the power of your word as it is proclaimed. Lord, would you raise up men and women in our churches, Lord, who desire to live for Christ in their marriages, Lord. Young men desiring to live well, Lord, we pray. Would you help them, Lord, that they may not engage themselves in the behaviors they shouldn't be doing at such an early stage. Father, bless your church here in Igulu. Would you continue, Lord, to grow your church for the glory and the honor of your name. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord. You have granted us to learn together. May your Holy Spirit continue to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thinking the food has already come, so I'm <laughs> but but it's coming, yeah.